Hello, everybody. Welcome in. So glad you're here. Welcome to another wonderful Monday night with me, of course, Mr. Merck of the Bearded Truth. Thank you guys all so much for taking the time out of your week to hop in here and join me, your neighborhood-friendly libertarian, where I talk about politics and social issues one issue at a time. Tonight, I've got an amazing guest with me coming on. Uh, his name is Dwayne Lester. He uh, recently was speaking out at CPAC and uh, just, or sorry, uh, at, at YALCON and just was a tremendous, I mean, he brings on the down the roof every time he speaks i mean this guy i can't speak highly enough of him so i'm so excited to have him coming on tonight but of course before we get into that i gotta say thank you of course to muddy waters of freedom and the muddy waters team as a whole for giving me an opportunity to come out here and talk about my uh my opinions my views and everything else as well as of course my my guests um being able to to have a platform like this and be able to talk about this to to talk about these ideas of libertarianism of bringing growth and prosperity to the future to the masses to everyone and not have it be for just one select group is is of course the the ideal situation that's what we're all pursuing here and so we're working in that effort and uh so big shout out to everyone and looking so forward <laughs> uh looking so forward to to the discussion we're about to have and so without further ado I want to bring on the good man himself, Dwayne Lester. Welcome in. Well, I hope I can live up to the hype, man. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm coming just to a you little live, bit. live from Northwest Missouri, now fully loaded with imposter syndrome. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes, yes, we we use imposter syndrome quite frequently in the back <laughs> channel. So, uh, so it's good that I don't. That... I don't actually read these books. These are crutch. <laughs> <laughs> They're all just empty, and they've got like uh, yeah. I don't know, but um. So big news coming from from Dwayne. Uh, he is now the he's got 109 children, um, more specifically, just nine children. Uh, yeah. So those bags under his eyes is not from from having his ninth son this last week, but actually from having eight kids prior to that. The yeah, man doesn't fifth, sleep. My fifth son, by the way. But yeah, nine <laughs> kids. I had them all here this weekend. It was pretty awesome. Whew how what is the food bill like <laughs> when you have you know, nine that's, kids that's a great question because i i asked my wife this one time and i'm about to blow your mind because when i was blogging uh when i was when i was blogging full-time on state issues uh i looked at the fact that we probably qualified for food stamps at the time and i wanted to know how much we would get if we were on food stamps versus how much we were actually spending because i wanted i, I figured there's probably some disparity here. I'd probably get more on food stamps than I would, um, at, you know, just paying for it. And I was curious. So I went to my wife and I said, how much do we spend a month on food? And when you have that, let me know. I'm going to go up and do the, the stuff and apply for whatever uh, food stamps and see how much we'd get. So I went up there and was doing the stuff in my office. And I found out that we get like $1,000 or something just for food from food stamps. I blew my mind. Ooh. I was like, I could have bacon for every stinking meal and then cook bacon to throw bacon away it would be so much so the wife comes in i said so what'd you say and she said we spend a month about 150 dollars and i said no wait i said a month not a week she said no that's that's about right a month and i said you're gonna have to break this down for me and she she said well you have to remember uh er, last year in deer season we were once again asked if we wanted any deer and we said yes. And so they brought three deer by. And so we've got like hundreds of pounds of deer meat in the freezer. And then 
we get most of our vegetables from our gardens. And she's got, I'm not kidding you. At one point we had a 4,000 square foot garden that she gardened. Yeah, it was, it was sick. And so most of the time, all we buy is condiments and, and spices. And we get that from the bulk food store that the Mennonites run. So it's about 150 a month. So that's what my food bill is. Holy smokes. I see. This was not, this was not like framed to be like, Hey, you don't talk about food, but this, yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you, when you literally speak and you bring down the roof, uh, in your communities, people just come and bring you food. So, so you could feed your entire, almost your entire football team. Um, <laughs> team now. I, mean, I have a baseball team now. Yeah. You got a baseball team. So, so we got to get to, to the better American sport. Um, <laughs> but but uh, from the comment section, um, Sean Hickman says, from my OCD, says he needs to have a 10th. Um, and I I made the joke to him before, and I was like, man, that thing still works. He's like, well, I'm, you know, we'll see if it still does. Uh, so, see you a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's $150 a month. I was just yeah. thinking, we spend about, so I've got two daughters. I've got a two-year-old who eats $150 in Cheez-Its each week. And then <laughs> I've got a, a 12-year-old. And between me eating steaks as much as possible, like, that's that's truly just mind-blowing. And... Well, I can tell you that was when we were – that was when I was a full-time blogger making absolutely no money, living on donations that I could get from the kind people of Missouri who supported my work. Now, uh, I'm sure our food bill's much higher, and I don't think I want to know what it is because yeah. my wife said to me today – what do you want for lunch? Uh, and remember, all my kids are here. And she says, I got enough steaks for everybody to have a steak. And I'm like, you say, say what now? <laughs> You're going to give everybody a steak. I don't think so. I only get one steak a meal. She's like, you only need one steak a meal. And I said, but I could have two, couldn't I? Because apparently we have steaks galore. <laughs> we have a surplus of steaks. Yeah. Don't be limited my oh. rations on these steaks. Don't be handing those away to the kids. We love them, exactly. but not that much. <laughs> I don't even, that one doesn't even like steaks. I'm not sure it's mine. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I, I love that. Um, man, I, I had like so many jokes, but <laughs> I, I, I'm just, my mind is now blown on this. And, and I don't even know a good segue from this to, to move into why I, I was so excited to bring you on, but it's, no, no, there's just no segue for that. I I came to you, and, and many people have heard this. When I talk to people and I say, you know, I, I want to have this person on. And there's always a reason why I want to have this person on. Um, and for you, the circumstance was a little bit different. So last last episode that we had, we had uh, Cajun, or not Cajun, uh, Chris Darnell, who's don't also- do Cajun, because I don't want him to get all spicy about my beard. That That is, the, well, I mean, you are the, the second best bearded person on Muddy Waters Media right now. I mean, look at that luscious beard is full. It's coming in right it's... there. I don't know if you can see it, but I can feel it. <laughs> I think he's still in the comment section, so he's definitely definitely going to be pretty bitter about that one. But it's <laughs> fine. Um, it's spicy, he just said. Um, but when when I have people come on, oftentimes I say, you know, I want to have you on to talk about this. I had Bootleg Libertarian come on, and, and his big thing is talking about the Second Amendment, talking about guns and freedom. And when I came to you, I was like, I have the world in front of you pick something like what is it that you how can you make the biggest impact how can you drive liberty how can you change liberty and he's like you were just like that i can do that and i i thought that that was 
that's something that we all need to hear, right? Because oftentimes when you hear libertarian podcasts, when you hear people, when they talk about current events or they're talking about such as what we're doing here of trying to have more timeless, um, but talking about, about events, we don't talk about how we actually influence the society around us. And, and I think looking at your resume, um, looking at everything that you've done, everything that I've been made aware of, at least you accomplished this in your nine to five, you accomplished this with your nine children running around and <laughs> spreading freedom. You, you accomplish this by creating leaders, um, in everywhere that you go and a good leader has that open mind to allow for other people. And, and I think that the leadership is, is what the, the freedom movement is about. And, and so, um, if, if, if you're up, up for it, I, I would love to hear kind of why you're the authoritarian or not the authoritarian, but the author, authority authority on this. <laughs> what are you telling uh, people, man? Uh, yeah, why why I'm not an authoritarian. <laughs> you do have on the a fantastic shirt, which uh, which I didn't plug. The local libertarian. Um, right. Where where did that come from? First of all, before we hop into to why you're the authority on. This. I don't even remember. I just remember saying hi. I'm Dwayne, your local libertarian, because I'm in a town of like 1,500 people, and I think I'm. I thought I was the only one here. Since I've started saying that, I've discovered there's more and more around me who hate the government almost as much as I do. Not quite though, uh, but. I just started saying, hi, I'm Dwayne, your local libertarian. And then I thought, that's not a bad brand. I think I wouldn't mind putting that on a t-shirt. And so I did. And then I thought, you know what, if I were to have like a local libertarian t-shirt and then I could have like a local status t-shirt, which is right over there. And then I said, but I need a government. And then I started thinking up all these goofy skits that I could do. And then the next thing I know, I'm on TikTok doing skits and it's, it's funny. It's, I think it's funny anyway. So, so you're making skits and you're putting them up on, on the toxic, vile community of, of TikTok, that yeah. crazy China government conspiracy program. Yeah. Where can people find you? Oh, it's just at Dwayne Lester. At Dwayne it Lester. Really, really difficult brand I came up with there. It, it, yeah, no, and and I will say that I started following you as soon as you started making it. You made one post on Facebook, and I was like, "Well, I'm gonna follow it." And I I, I had my own little side gig from here, and I was like, "I'm gonna follow it." I'm, I can't throw you likes just because I don't want to get into that. And then I realized, what the hell am I doing? Like this dude's funny. He needs his likes. He needs his love. He needs his support. And I mean, you have a prop next to you that just it it. The skits you have with these things, it is you know, one knowing, of those things that is planting seeds. Go ahead. Knowing you wouldn't, knowing you wouldn't follow me, that was a hard to swallow pill, right there. <laughs> so, these TikToks are just so perfect in the way that it's. I, I don't want to break it. I, I don't want you guys got to go follow Dwayne Lester on TikTok. Go download TikTok. Go create an account on TikTok. Go follow at Dwayne Lester. Um, his name is there in the title of all the videos on YouTube, on Facebook, on, on float, on Twitch, on Twitter, everywhere that this video is streaming out live right now. You guys have that in front of you. If you guys are listening to this later on, as you're on the go and the podcast, um, of course, any of your pod favorite podcast apps, we're on it. Um, it's there in the name as well. So find Dwayne Lester on TikTok. Give this man a follow. And if you don't laugh at his videos or, th or realize the seeds that he is planting, by having these conversations, I mean, the, the gun, the, oh man, the gun infringement one, that was the one that will always stand out to me. That was, I think that was what your first or your second hard to swallow pill. 
or no, that was, was first that one was call. the wake up call. That was wake the up wake call. up call. Yeah, there's a there's a skit we do where I had I actually I was on a trip and I said I'm going to film this part here and then I went downstairs to the lobby and had to take photos of like the front desk of the hotel so I could use that as a green screen later. And there's nothing nothing more satisfying as a nearly 50 year old man to have people staring at you while you're taking photos for your TikTok later. There's nothing. She's like, yes, I'm a walking man child. Thank you. <laughs> as you got probably girls in the background that are like 20, 21 years old are twerking for their TikToks and they they don't get a second look, but you, the 50 year old, what are you doing guy? What are you doing old man? You're not supposed to be on TikTok. You're too old. Um, uh. Uh, so a question from the comment is Dwayne Lester, is he a comedian? Uh, he will have your, your sides be split. Uh, he, um, I've, I probably the first big interaction I had with Dwayne, uh, we were, we were just cracking jokes back and forth and it made the event that we were at, which is typically a pretty unbearable event. It made the time fly by. <laughs> I think I got called on. Uh, one of us got called on uh, to speak during it. Like we, it, we both were were too deeps into our jokes, and so it was like a, a random random response. But no, he's not a comedian. Uh, he will make you laugh. He'll make you enjoy everything. But he is a man that can sell you freedom. He can sell yeah. you the tools. He can equip you with them and he can make you change society around you. And that's yeah, actually the purpose of tonight. Go ahead. I don't think that I'm not afraid to say that I'm a full-time trainer. I'm a, I mean, I'm a professional trainer. That's what I do is I, I work with people. And if you talk to some trainers, they will say, we're not trainers. You can't call yourself a trainer, Dwayne. You're a, you're a performance development consultant. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Well, I train people. That's what I do. I take people and I teach them hopefully a few things that they go out and apply. For example, um, just recently I was teaching a group of people and I was trying to explain to them that politicians by and large are very vain, egotistical, self-centered people. And if you write their name in a letter to the editor, they'll find out about it and they'll care. This person took that advice, wrote a letter to the editor, sent me an email and says, hey, guess what? I have, a, I have a meeting with the superintendent of my schools next week because I wrote a letter to the editor. So that's what I do is I teach people how to do things and then hopefully they go do them and they make a difference in their in their country. So it's not just it's just not the U.S. representatives. It's not just U.S. Congress. It's not just your, your state representatives. This is literally at every level that Dwayne can equip you to make a difference, to get mm -hmm. your voice heard and to actually apply good principles, good philosophies in order to make a difference. That's why I had to have Dwayne on. <laughs> That's why when, I, when he sold me on this, I was like, there's there's no one better. I, I got to have him. Uh, Brent Ritter, if you're listening to this, I, I still love you too. <laughs> you know, there was a, a quote from Andrew Breitbart, and I, regardless of how you feel about the man, the guy got attention and he, and he made a difference. But one of the things he said was, if you can't sell freedom, you suck. And that is something that I never forgot. And what I've learned since then is a lot of people think that that just telling everybody what they think and why the other person is wrong is selling freedom. And that's not at all, not at all what it's about. And believe it or not, I do read some of these books and some of these books have enlightened me on how to do this. Um, I can keep going if you want. And let, yeah. I don't want to bulldoze no. over your questions. Run through it. One of the things that that I've learned just in training, and this applies to sales, because 
I, I try to explain to people all the time what we're doing when we are working in politics is it's a sales gig. We are trying to sell what? We're trying to sell our ideas. We're trying to sell the concept of freedom. We're trying to sell different principles that we find important. And one thing that, that crosses over that from training is that people don't argue with their own data. People do not argue with their own data. I can sit and tell you all these principles and that you find should find important, that I find important. These principles are important to the society. They don't care because it's me telling them. But if they say these things are important, then I can work with that. So this kind of culminated, what, what really blew my mind with this and where I first started applying it was when I was training a very libertarian point of view to traditionally very center-right, Republican, conservative audiences. And what I would find is when I get into these, these trainings, because I was simply telling them, I was saying, this is what you should believe. I, they, would, they would argue with me, even though a lot of these principles they would probably tell you otherwise they believed in, once you started applying them, they, they didn't like that. And so I changed, I changed the way I started doing this. And this comes from another book that I read when I was uh, like 19, 20, 21, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, you can laugh at me if you want. Anthony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within, self-help book. In that book, he says, questions are the answer. And he was applying it to the idea that the questions you ask yourself will be how you move forward. But I think about that in that the questions you ask other people, that's going to help you make the sale question you've got to find out what they think or you've got to get them to identify their own positions and that's what i was doing when i started this so every time i'd go into train this very libertarian point of view i would start by saying i want to get us all on the same page because there may be conversations we have later that we don't agree with each other on and times this has gotten contentious so let's start on the same page i want to ask you four questions the first question is where does a just government get its power? Oof. And the important word here is just. Yeah. A just government. And they would say, almost always, the people. And I would say, yes, a just government gets its power from the people. I don't disagree with that. Can a person give away something they don't have? Never. No, you can't give something away you don't have. Does that include power does that include authority you can't give it away an authority you don't have can you no no i mean i can't say jason's house is open we can all go spend the night there <laughs> i don't have that authority i can say that but that doesn't mean that that would make it unjust yeah you see what i'm saying so no you can't give away something you don't have and so then i would pull down uh this book right here which if you haven't read you Ooh, should frederick bastiat Yep. I've got, I think, six copies of it up there that I just keep giving away. And I would say, well, you know, Bastia said that you're right. A, a just government gets its power from the people and people can't give away that which they don't have. So therefore, a just government should only have the authority that we as individuals have. And the only time we as individuals can use violence or force is in defense of rights, either our own or someone else's. So doesn't it follow then that a just government should only have the power to secure and defend the rights of the people? Yes. Perfect. Okay, we're all on the same page. Then I would say, does a majority vote make something wrong, something right? And this is 
traditionally the most aggressive no I ever get. <laughs> no, no, like, no way. You're right. No, a majority vote doesn't mean something that's wrong is suddenly right. That includes a lot of things. Just because you vote for someone else to go do something that would be wrong for you to do doesn't mean that that person doing it is now just or justified. It's still immoral. It's still wrong, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it is. Great. Final question. Who owns you? Does the government have any claim on your person? Does the government have any authority or, or ownership of you? Or do you own yourself? We own us. I remember asking, asking and getting the answers to these four questions, which we all gave. No, I own myself. No one owns me. And I looked at this group and I said, look at all you rab rabid libertarians. <laughs> and they just looked at me like I'd, they'd caught me doing something unnatural to their house pet. <laughs> but from there on, Again, they're not going to be arguing with me at this point. Yeah. Later on when I'd say, well, when you think about this, if we legalize everything, doesn't that fit with what we talked about before? Well, we shouldn't legalize drugs. I said, well, you said earlier that the government doesn't own you, right? Right. So how does the government have any authority to tell you what you can put in your body? Well, You literally have changed the perspective of people with four questions and not even, <laughs> not giving them answers, but letting them come to these conclusions. Yeah, I, I said at this point, I'm, you're not arguing with me. <laughs> I've, I've lost count of how many people I've looked at. So you're not arguing with me. You got to figure this out for yourself. You're arguing with yourself at this point because you said earlier that government can't do any, a just government can't do anything that you can't do. Well, can I use a gun? to keep you from taking a drug that's not going to hurt anybody? I can't do that, can I? So how can government do that? Well, uh, well, they voted for it. Well, uh, you know, a you majority vote democracy. doesn't make doesn't something work. wrong, something right. You yeah. said that earlier, too. <laughs> Just because we all voted for it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> I said nine out of ten people involved in a gang rape are pro-gang rape. That doesn't make gang rape just or moral. But that's a, a majority vote. That's yeah. just mob yeah. rule. Yeah. And so, again, I don't know how many people have changed their minds, but they have to argue with their own data. They're not arguing with me. And it's important to recognize. I mean, I had I had this. I'll, I'll tell you this other story. This was great. I was doing this in in Indiana. I, was, I had the same the same training I was giving very libertarian stance. And I'd gone through these four questions. And there's a fifth question that I'll often ask in trainings when I'm dealing with concepts that the audience might not be prepared for. And that question is, what if government didn't do that? And I remember I asked this group, what if government didn't do that? And they all looked at me and they're like, didn't, didn't do what, Dwayne? I said, name it. What if they didn't do anything? What if they didn't do? Yeah. And so, somebody in the back yelled, education. I said, perfect. Let's talk about education. What if government didn't do education? What if tomorrow the governor of, of uh, Indiana came out and said, from this second forward, not one red cent will come out of taxpayer funds to go towards education. There is no role for government in education. This is something that will be handled by the private sector and individuals from this point on. Government is out of education. What would happen at that point? Would parents around the, the state just go, 
I guess my kid's going to be stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, COVID, uh, to put that into perspective, COVID has shown that parents were like, look, the schools are making terrible decisions. And now we have a, a mass exodus of parents moving into public school or uh, into homeschooling or into other schooling. They're, they're right. leaving public school. But here's the power of asking that question. I didn't tell them if government stops doing that, this, 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 and this will happen. I said, what if government doesn't do that? What happens then? And then they started firing off answers. Mm. Well, churches would do something. I said, yeah, what would churches do? Well, they could come together and they, and they could, t- you know, take care of the kids who go to that church. Yeah, what else? Well, they could they could recruit other kids who, you know, might not. And then maybe church attendance starts going up. Yeah, wow, think about that. It ripples out, doesn't it? What else would happen? Well, parents could form, and they sat there and gave all of these answers. And I, I just sat back like Lardass from Stand By Me with a <laughs> look on my face. Like, hmm, look what I did. Hmm. <laughs> but they figured it all out. I didn't have to sell, you know, I didn't have to sell it to them. People don't argue with their own data. And so all I did was ask the right question. What if government didn't do that? And I'm actually thinking about getting that put on a T-shirt because uh, I like that question. What if yeah. government didn't do that? And they figured it out themselves. Now, there was a lady in the room who could not get past the fact that if government didn't do education, that kids wouldn't get educated. And her concern was that there would be kids who'd fall through the gaps. They're, they're just, there are kids who fall through the cracks. And I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, well, there are kids doing that now. I would say, well, are, are any kids falling through the cracks now? Well, yeah, yeah, there are. I said, okay, so nothing really changes then. Is that what you're saying? Well, the, I mean, teachers wouldn't be around to see if the kids got abused. I said, are kids getting abused now by teachers? Well, yes. Okay. So there's still not much change. <laughs> and there was something I read from Thomas Sowell. The Thomas Sowell section is down there. That's why I keep looking down. I'm look, I keep referencing books like over here in the library. <laughs> the Thomas Sowell section is down there. But something Thomas Sowell said changed my perspective on things and it, and it has changed how I, how I teach these concepts too. And that is a simple quote where he said, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. Yep. And I sat there and I don't know how many times I read that. And I thought that is so simple and yet so profound. And when I get to those situations, I would say to this person, there are no solutions to this. There are only trade-offs to this. And our mission is to find the least aggressive, the least violent, the least um, the least liberty attacking, the most free yeah. solution to this, and then find solutions or find ways to deal with the trade-offs that come from that. Yeah. And but a lot of it is just asking questions. And that goes back to and I feel like I'm just talking and talking, talking, but no, you're this is what I do. Uh, I talk for a living. So, I'm so you might as well just take the rest of the night off. But uh, <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot where I was going with that. But yeah, just asking questions because it goes back to uh me this pen. I don't know if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street. I have not seen Wolf of mm-hmm. Wall Street. Michael Sissio has seen it enough for all of us, and he will tell me about it over and over and over again. But there's a scene in there where he says, sell me this pen. I so hate sell that me question. This pen. That is the worst question that anyone can ask you. Just sell this random thing. Continue. Yeah, sell me this pen. And most people will take the pen and be like, let me tell you about this pen. This pen is the most awesome pen. It writes upside down. You take this pen, you, you'll never – totally the wrong way to go. 
I don't even know if you need a friend. The thing is to start asking questions. And when you can ask questions, you start understanding what's important to this person. Yeah. There's another training principle that I try to follow that I, I preach to other people. We say that there are two radio stations that pe- people in training listen to. There's WeFM. That's what's in it for me. That's a question you always have to ask for the participants in there. I've, I, if I can tell you what's in this training for you, you'll be more likely to listen to it because you'll sit there and say, oh, well, I, I want this because it's important to me. Another one is uh, make me M-M-F-I-A-M. Make me feel important about myself. And if you can do that, then you'll have people listening to you also. There's a great story uh, about Benjamin Disraeli when he was running for prime minister of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. He was at this event with his, the person he was running against. And both of them were slated to sit with different times with this particular woman. And at the end of the night, the press went up to this woman and they said, so tell me what you think about, and I, I forget, you know, the name. Tell me what you thought about Mr. Lyon. Oh, well, you know, when I sat with him, I felt like he was the most interesting person in, in all of Great Britain. Well, what did you think about Mr. Disraeli? Oh, well, when I sat with him, I felt like I was the most interesting person in all of Great Britain. And that's charisma because he would sit there and ask questions and find yeah. out more about her and made it all about her. And when you can sit with someone and you spend time finding out about them, People will want to sit with you because you've made them feel important about themselves. But another thing you're doing at the same time is you're finding out what they value, what's important to them. And when you can find out what's important to them, you you can create what's called a shared vision. This comes from a book called The Fifth Discipline, which was another one of those books that I read. And I thought, this is this changes my whole perspective yeah. because I would think about something called a shared vision. And when I was training there was a vision I had to train people on. And my thought was, okay, I know the vision. You don't know the vision. I'm going to come and train on this vision. Now we have a shared vision. And this book had something completely different. And what it said was, I've got, oh, sorry about that. I've got a vision. <laughs> My hands a lot. Sorry. Uh, I've got a vision. You've got a vision. I need to find out what your vision is. I need to find out what's important to you. And then I need to connect your vision to our vision yeah. so that you can see that by working towards our vision, we're also accomplishing your vision. Yeah. And that creates the shared vision. So when you can do that, then you're going to get people to come and want to be a part of what you're doing because by helping you, they're helping themselves. And there's this thing called self-interest yeah. that motivates a lot of people. And by a lot, I mean most, if not all. Yeah. And I think with that, like, so when we are as individuals in the liberty movement or whatever movement we're really a part of, because I mean, this is this is not just tied to the liberty, liberty movement itself. But when we're like, for me, like criminal justice reform is my big thing. Right. So if I find somebody who appears to be for whatever is giving me that context, they may be interested in the criminal justice system. I don't just go up to them and start throwing everything I know about the criminal justice system at them and, and, and try to get them to, to see my side, but using the practice or the tools that you're talking about, you know, ask them, be like, Hey, you know, uh, I think a, a better example that I could use is if you find somebody with nine kids, you can, what's going to be, weirdo. yeah, probably a weirdo probably has a huge library of books behind him, but, uh, <laughs> but, space. 
But by seeing somebody with nine kids, a question that I instantly would go to is, does this person care about healthcare? Does this person care about education? Um, and, and asking questions about that, I can figure out, you know, what their views are, what their stance is, and, and find out if it's somebody that we can, we can align with to work together to, to help make a difference, um, for that shared vision of, of look, you know, you've got all these kids, these kids are incredibly important. You, what's in it for you is let's work to make your, the education system actually work for all, all nine of your kids. Cause let's face it. If you had to homeschool all nine children, I, how <laughs> that's, that's going to be a difficult process. I granted you could throw them, you could throw them plenty of books and just say, read. They're all homeschooled. They're all homeschooled. It's how difficult is that? How much time does that take in a week? Jason, I travel for a living. So let me get the wife up here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is she, is she can, a stay home wife or? Yeah. Yeah. She stays at home. She homeschools them all. And it, it isn't that difficult. Uh, really? They, they, yeah. W- what you got to understand is, and this is something that blows people's minds too. And yeah. I, I've tried to explain this to people. Once you get past three kids, it's all the same because the older kids become more capable of helping the younger kids. And that goes along with education too. It makes sense. So you might have a kid who's struggling with, with something and another kid has mastered. You can say, Anna, would you go over and help Jeremiah with, with his spelling? Well, I do this over here with Silas and Matthew, could you help whatever Willow with this? Put and, the football and, team to its use. I like yeah, it. You, you believe it or not, we believe in leveraging comparative advantages. It's That's something a- that, what so that's a that's a term that I like to use and I think that you'd be the best one to define that. What what is a comparative advantage for for the for the audience that may have never heard that economic term before? When I think of comparative advantages, I think you have to look at the opportunity cost. So an opportunity cost is something you have to give up in order to do something else. So doing this interview with you, what am I giving up? I'm giving up a hot dinner downstairs which I'm told is just leftovers. So not that high a cost. I can get those whenever. I'm giving up time with my kids that I won't get back. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I, I love you and I love your audience. So it's this, we're family here too, right? These are the things I'm giving up. These are the costs associated with this particular activity. So a comparative advantage is what can I do that has the lowest opportunity cost compared to anyone else? And that's it. When you can leverage that, then you're going to be creating the most value. And here's the thing. We all have a comparative advantage. And sometimes that comparative advantage shifts from time to time. So you might have a CEO of an organization and there's a crisis in the organization and he's or she has done everything they can. And so when they get to the office and everybody's in full crisis mode, their comparative advantage might be, what refreshments does this group need? Can I go get sodas? Can I go get beer or whatever? Can I go get lunch that might be their comparative advantage because everyone else is handling their business your business is done what can you do to create value at that time i'll take a rona if you're if you're serving them no no okay this is strictly a uh a blue moon household or a uh maker's mark depending i i can't do maker's mark can't do it i do have normally normally the audience can see it but i do have a very special bottle of backbone bourbon signed by the 2020 presidential candidate signed by Joe Jorgensen herself. But uh, so that one will never get oh, drank. We, but are we name dropping now? Because I just oh. gave Tom Woods a, a bottle of Jefferson Reserve. So Ooh, hey, wait, 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 wait. I just invited you onto my show and you didn't give me a Thomas and Jefferson Reserve. What makes you think it's not in your house? Are you, have you talked Oof. to your family? Because. Hey, <laughs> I'm liking this best <laughs> guest ever. Just saying. Um, But no, um. No, that's a, it, 
I can't believe I I had doubts about the the homeschooling thing. But I think I think from from being on the outside of of like most parents when they look at at the idea of homeschooling, they they think that this is something that takes a long time because public school takes a long time throughout the day, right? So kids are in school for seven hours a day. Then they come home and they do one, two, three hours of homework, depending on how fast they are and everything else. But I think also like, so, so with that, just of, of, of identifying people who'd be interested in those certain topics, those are ways that we can use those, those lines of questioning and, and be able to, to tell them what's in it for you to make them feel important, to understand them as we, as we look to, to try to sell uh libertarian or whatever ideas you're trying to sell. But of course, for us, it's, it would be the, uh, the libertarian ideals. Um, Let me give you another question yeah, that, go ahead. that I think is very important. You said that that CJR is your, is your big issue. Why is that important to you? Uh, because I, I've seen how I, I think I'm trying to remember who the quote was from, but the quote uh, was basically talking about how, why do we judge um, the rest of somebody's life based on their worst day? Um, I think that that's the best way to encapsulate it, where we have a criminal justice system that is incredibly broken in every every faucet of how it's working, whether it's the laws that have been created and we know about the unjust laws. Um, we've seen how we have a punitive system that's not rehabilitative to where we have a high recidivism rate because of that. Um, I, I think it's just it, there's just a lot of gross negligence around that topic. And so what I want to do is I want the the purpose of what a criminal justice system to make victims whole to um, to have people who have offended or or infringed upon the rights of others um, to be held accountable to fix those problems to make them whole make them human again and then as they re-enter society uh, make sure that everyone's kind of um, you can trust your neighbor and you don't have to live in fear of 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 that issue. Why is all that important to you? Because I love freedom, and and our criminal justice system has been encroaching on that in the pursuance of of its brokenness. Why why is it important that the criminal justice system then not infringe on or encroach on more freedom? So the problem has always been is from my perspective that when <laughs> I love being in this hot seat, but um, I. I when we look at the way that the criminal justice system has been used, and and oftentimes when we see people the quote-unquote statist if you will but if when people use government in their pursuance of of what they deem to be wrong right we talked about the war on drugs a little bit ago um that they're not making the situation worse or better they're they're actually making it worse they're making it worse for for families they're making it worse for the individuals caught up in the system and 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 so i want to see people be able to reach our potential and and through that the criminal justice system isn't hasn't been providing it it sounds like what you're saying is that the criminal justice system, when it gets outside of, of just making victims whole and, and holding people accountable for their actions, it actually starts doing more harm than good. Yes. And, and keeps people from living up to their most potential. Why is it important that people reach their most potential? Life is hard enough. We shouldn't have extra barriers in the way of that. All I've really done is ask you one question. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All I've done is ask, why is that important? And that actually goes back to something that, that's, a, I think it's Six Sigma. It's a, it's a, a root cause analysis. It's just called the five whys. But I was at another training with an organization in, in Colorado called the Leadership Program of the Rockies. And I was auditing it. And one of the speakers kept asking, well, why is that important? 
And he, by the time he had asked it five times, you had gotten to the root of why this was important. The whole time, all I'm doing is gathering more and more information about you mm-hmm. so that I, know, that I know what's important to you. And that way I can find what's important to you and match up to what our values are and say, you know, we believe a lot of the same things, Jason. I see government getting outside of its arena. I, I see government getting outside its proper role. And every time it does that, it diminishes the other institutions in society. We criminalize things that shouldn't be criminalized, and that creates more harm than good, and it keeps us from living our best lives. I think, I think you and I agree on a lot of the same things, and there, there are ways we could work together to change this. Was that something that, that you'd want to do? Oh, with you any day. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> that's basically selling freedom. And, and the thing about it is, is you're not going to get that sale the first time. You might not get it the second time. Most sales don't get closed until the sixth time. Uh, there's a great book out there I just read yesterday, actually, called, uh, what is it? Getting, getting to Know, I think it is. But it, it talks about the fact that a lot of times you'll see sales people and they'll have quotas. I've got to make six, get six yeses this week. And by the time they get to the sixth yes, they're done. They, they skate. But if you said, I want to get 50 no's this week, how many yeses would you actually get? You might get, you know, if you're going for 20 no's in a week, you might get 10 yeses. Probably not, but you're going to get more yeses because you're going for no. Yeah. And the fact yeah. of the matter is you, you may have to talk to people more than once. But if that talk that you have initially ends with you screaming at them, you're not a real libertarian. You're probably not going to make friends. You're probably not going to make that sale. You're probably just going to piss people off. And uh, then you get what we have today in a lot of ways. Yeah. No, and and I'm definitely, definitely very victim of, of having that confrontation rather than, rather than putting the best foot forward and, and. Oh yeah. And it's so easy. I, I, I remember having conversations with my brother when I first started, first started getting into politics. I mean, I, I didn't know a whole lot. I'll I'll be honest. I didn't care about politics until uh, I remember uh, a conversation I had in 2000 after the USS Cole bombing. And I was talking to someone at work and they're like, I said, this is this. I was in the Navy. So I'm like, this, this pisses me off. And he's like, well, you know, that's why you need to vote for Bush because Gore will do this. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just tell me more. And, and I didn't know. But as I've grown more and more and more, I've, I've come to have these. I don't even know where I was going with this at this point. I started thinking about the fact that at one point in my life, I was going to vote for Al Gore. And now I'm sad. And look what you've done. <laughs> oh, man. I don't really don't know where I was going with that, um, but I'll, I do want to I, I do want to touch on three other things because it it does come down to those conversations, and what I another thing that I did when I was talking with you is I used something called labeling, which comes from a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I have but not. labeling is just uh, you listen to somebody and then you just put a label on what they said. So what I said when I labeled was it sounds like what you think is this, Jason. And you said, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times you'll keep talking after that. It sounds like you really care about criminal justice reform. Yep. (laughs) The the silence drives it. Yeah. Yeah. Silence will drive a person crazy, but if you get just, yep. So there's labeling and that's just, it's just putting a label on what that person just said. If you get, yep. Then there's another great phrase that you can use. And I use all the time. Well, tell me more. Yeah. Oh man. See, I love that. That and that's and shut up. 
<laughs> once you say, tell me more, shut up. Sounds like you really are passionate about criminal justice reform. Yep. Well, tell me more about that. <laughs> and you, we're just having a conversation, but you want to tell me more right now. Yeah. Right? No, I've, I've like, my, my insights are like, let's, let's do another hour. You, you got yeah. time? <laughs> well, no. Cause like I said, there's leftovers downstairs, uh, but um, I'll, I'll stay as long as you want. I don't care. I'm fine. I'm good. But so you've got, you've got labeling, you've got mirroring. And this is something I've actually used when I was, when I was first starting out in podcasting, I was, I was, you said CPAC earlier. I was at a CPAC. I was, I had all my podcasting equipment set up. I was editing an interview that I'd just done. And someone comes up next to me and says, would you like to interview speaker of the house, Newt Gingrich? And I'm like, I had no plans on interviewing this guy, but he's standing right there. What do you know? I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. No, you sit down, he sits down and I start with one question. So how are you enjoying the conference speaker Gingrich? starts talking and i just looked at him and the more he talked the more i listened and then when he stopped all i did was repeat like the last three to five words he said and he kept talking and he kept talking and he kept talking and then he stopped talking and i repeated like the last three to five words he just said and i just let the guy talk and it's called mirroring and most people won't notice that you're doing it won't notice that you're doing it well yeah because they're really interested in what they're saying and people like to talk sometimes, and so they're, they're they they will keep talking because it's more like a question. Yeah, more like a question. You see what more I'm doing? Like a question. Yeah, dude. Oh my word, I love this. See, these are these are um, when I look at out, out across like libertarians, and and I hate to label them as such, but so many of us are are socially awkward in the way that we have conversations. That we mm -hmm. just we have that struggle of connecting with so many people, and and so these are these are just basic relationship building um, yeah, techniques. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, you know, when all things said are done and said are done, people want to do business with their friends, and all things considered, people still want to do business with their friends. Yeah. But why not make friends? Yeah. And change the world with it. Yeah. The, we we and, have the opportunity. I mean, we've got the philosophy. We've got the principles. We've got the, the trade-offs, the better trade-offs. Um, not to call them solutions. But no, it's... You're right. And that book, that, that uh, Tell Me More, that came from a book called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. That's another great book on negotiation. That guy runs the negotiation school at Wharton. And he's, he's got a great book out. So this raises a question for me because we've listed probably seven, maybe eight books. Um, what has been the most influential book for you? What is the book that, that when you're talking about selling Liberty, not, not the practice of, but the actual philosophy, what is that book that really stands out to you? Cause I know we mentioned Frederick, Frederick Bastiat's the law and, and certainly for, for you guys in the viewership, if you guys have not read that, reach out to Dwayne Lester. He said, he's got six of them, um, but Dude, um, this is, this is an incredible right here. This is an incredibly short read. It's what you could read in one afternoon. Um, yeah. You can watch the or listen to the YouTube clip of it. There's a free YouTube um, reading of it. It's less than two hours long. Um, it's an incredibly powerful book. I used to quote it all the time. I haven't read it in a while, so I gotta I gotta bust my my volume out um, and reread that again. But what what would you say is the is the book that changed you the most um, in the ways of of selling liberty you know in 2006 i was working as an armed security guard at a nuclear power plant 
I was and, a nuclear operator before. This is awesome. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So uh, basically, I was insurance. They had to have me. They never wanted to use me. And my job was 12 hours of sitting in a box doing nothing. And in 2006, I set a goal of reading 100 books in a year. And in early December, I accomplished that goal and set another goal of never doing anything that's stupid again. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I mean, I, was, I had a good pace going. I had a great pace going, and then I pulled out Atlas Shrugged. Oh, no. A, yeah, that was a two-week read. I just kept going, what the, what, did, what? And I'd go back and I'd read it and be like, okay, I get, I get that. All right. And then I just remember at one point going, how long does this stupid monologue go on? This is 40 <laughs> pages long. When's he going to shut up? <laughs> yeah. But in that book, in that year, actually, the book that hit me the hardest, and this was just this one year, was probably this one, 10 Things You Can't Say in America by Larry Elder. This was back when Elder was more libertarian than, than Republican. Yeah, so, I was going to say. Um... Um, I remember reading this saying, wow, I agree with a lot of these libertarian ideas. Maybe I'm not a conservative after all. And again, I was, I was evolving as the more I learned. Because yeah. I, uh, I remember having a discussion with my wife saying, no, we need no child left behind. And she was going through uh, education school at that time, and she looked at me like I was an idiot. And I was, but she's like, no, that will do horrible, horrible things. And I'm like, no, the Republicans are pushing it. It must be good. She's like, I married you, and I'm questioning that at this point. Oof. <laughs> Oof. She didn't say that, but I can no. tell by the look. Like, yeah. So I remember reading that saying, wow, there's a lot more libertarian ideas out there that I don't know about. I need to read about those. And so that was kind of the gateway drug to next thing, you know, I'm reading Rothbard and I'm, I'm reading Hayek and I'm reading all these other books. But then honestly, the law has had one of the biggest impacts in my life because the anything Bastiat writes, I just find brilliant. His, yes. his uh, petition for the candle makers. I mean, I read that and I'm like, I wish I were, I wish I was this brilliant. The idea here is, is it's they're candle makers and they're upset because there's huge competition and this competition knocks them out of the market. 50% of the market, this, this competition knocks them out and they want protections put in place to keep this competition out of their arena. And the biggest competition to the candle makers is the sun. So they want the government to force people to either have heavy, heavy curtains or to abolish windows completely, and that will help the candle makers. Mm. Well, yeah. Well, how does that – that sounds stupid, right? Well, how is it just as, any more stupid than tariffs or other barriers that we put in place? Regulatory capture. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the law is probably one of the most impactful things because those four questions that I asked at the beginning, a lot of it came from the law. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, I I would have to say, like, I am nowhere close to, like, have read as many pages. I've read probably as many pages in my entire life as you read books in, <laughs> in a, you know. Um, but definitely that is the book that I have tried to sell everybody on. Now, there was a question from... Um, there's a recommendation of, of of a book, and I want to hear your thoughts on economics in one less uh, in one lesson by Hazlitt. Um, yeah. Your thoughts on that? I know yeah, you have thought, it. My thoughts are: I pick up a copy every time I see one. There's a lot of good stuff in that. The, and Hazlitt, I've, I believe that Hazlitt is just a continuation of Bastia. 
or not is it bastia yeah the the uh, bastia's broken window theory yeah so bastia's broken window theory i think is continuation hazlitt continues that on and yeah there's a lot of parts of hazlitt that i'm like uh, just i'll skip over this chapter and i'll go to the next one i enjoy it uh, i think hazlitt's good his writings is good as well and after struggling through the monologue would you recommend to anyone liberty-minded read all of atlas shrugged once <laughs> you wouldn't recommend a second time reading that no. monologue a second time <laughs> uh you know she's got a lot of work out there and mm-hmm. when i read atlas shrugged honestly i'm reading atlas shrugged and i'm like she was really pissed off at people at this point i think she's writing and she's like why don't you get this yet mm-hmm. i gotta write another book for you to figure this out fine i'm just gonna put it in these 40 pages and if you don't get it then screw you all i'm not writing anything else so yeah, I actually like the Fountainhead better than Atlas Shrugged. Okay, perfect. I uh, I know like in all the times that I've known you, I remember watching you over time build out your library. That was what two years ago now. Um, mm, yeah. It, oh, I I I'll tell you, audience, that this man, this little section that we see here, there is literally walls of this stuff. This is this is this is public libraries wish they could be like Dwayne Lester. This guy yeah. has got it all. And and so definitely follow him on TikTok. Make sure that you guys do. And just send him that DM and be like, look, I read this book. What's the next one? Oh, yeah. Uh, he reaches out he's there for you he he's going to ask you all these questions on your own podcast (laughs) make sure that you understand what you're talking about but he is a absolute wealth of knowledge um let me me, can i i don't know how much time we have no go for it i really want to emphasize that because my whole my whole worldview is on helping people understand these things helping people be better at these things and helping people be more effective at these things and there's a reason why that is. So we, we talked a bit about knowing why is that important to you? And we talk about, I think you start with why you have to understand why you're, why are you listening to this podcast tonight? Why is this important to you? I, and I have nine kids and that's weird, but it's why I do what I do because I, I've sat and thought about this. And, and every time I look at some place where, where these socialistic tendencies have taken root where, where collectivism has taken root every single time it ends with hungry children. Every single time you see kids starving. And this is important to me because I never ever want to hear my child or my grandchild cry in hunger and me not be able to fix that. I mean, that is that simple. If you think this isn't about life and death, then you're not paying attention because it doesn't stop here. If we, if we don't do something now, then we will have hungry kids in the street. And I never want to see that more for my kids. kid for anyone's kid. Yeah. We have kids slipping through the cracks right now and, and that's bad enough. So we can, through the tools that you've been talking about here, through the tools that you continue to train people with, um, through us asking why, asking how, asking how we can better this, how we can have less people falling through the cracks, we can make a difference. And and I, you talking about this just resonates so much more. Um, it, it just comes through so much more clear to 
than I could ever put into words. And so um, I often talk about on, on this podcast of I want to equip people with the information. I want to give them the tools, the understanding of these topics, and then I want somebody to take my job. I want I, I, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be viewed as a celebritarian. I want to be viewed as somebody who wants to make the world better around me. And I want to get somebody else to do it better than me that wants to have this credit, that wants to have this support. And I think... Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think that you may be also the same way. While you have this this massive TikTok following that's growing and, and booming because you're you're phenomenal at what you do, but I have no doubt that somebody who'd be better than you, you'd still be like, look, I can help you. I can help you grow. And yeah, and it's it's beautiful to see. I, this is something that I I would say we don't see this. Here comes labeling again, but uh, we don't see this in the Republican and Democratic Party. We don't see this in the duopoly. We don't see this in statists. We see this in people who are doing it for the why, not for the who. And we're doing it for the why, for the who. And and through that through that lens, we are going to be able to to truly change society around us, and that's so incredibly important. So, um. I don't have much else. I want to. I want to give you the floor. Plug yourself. Pl- talk about what's coming up. Where we can find more Dwayne Lester at, um, and and everything else. But if you have any big stories that you want to share, that you you you'd be remiss without saying it. Um, I do have one question for you at the end of that. I don't. I don't have any big stories. I will say. I want to end with this, and this goes back again to to a, a, one of my philosophies for training, and that is, it's not about us. It's not about me. When I go into a training room, it's not about me. You'll see some folks who will go into a room and man, they want everyone in that room to know exactly how smart they are. They want to be the sage on the stage. I mean, everybody looking at them thinking, man, this guy's brilliant. I don't want that. I mean, y'all know I'm brilliant. I don't have to stand on that. Right. But it's not about me. I'm joking. It's not about me. It's about how I can help because each person I can make better is another person out there magnifying the, the efforts. I'm yes. about magnification. I'm not about uh, addition. I don't want this. Is another thing I learned from a book. Um, it's not about, it's not about addition. You know, people can add to their following. I don't want to add to my following. I want to, I want to multiply leaders because if I make another leader, they multiply, they multiply and they start adding followers and then they build leaders and they, they add to their followers. I'm about multiplication, not addition. It's not about me. I want to help anybody I can. So don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at that Dwayne Lester. Um, that one. Uh, <laughs> he, he is that guy. He is that guy. Oh, you're that Dwayne Lester. Don't think that, that's just something I came up with. Um, then Facebook is just Dwayne Lester. TikTok is Dwayne Lester. Uh, I, most of them, most social media outlets uh, will have a Dwayne Lester just because I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm claiming my, my spot on it. So please reach out and let me know how I can help you. Oh man, beautiful. You know, it might be another good podcast sometime is storytelling. Yes. I will definitely have you on for that. I would love, love to have that. Um, because your stories tonight, like just talking through things, right. You were selling us a message while telling us a story and, and it was impactful. It was enthralling. Like I was, I was just like, I don't even want to like, I want this to be the Dwayne Lester show. <laughs> I'll just sit back and, and be the producer. Like I'm cool with that. Um, but get I want some better internet first. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We gotta, we gotta petition the government to give you better internet. Right. 
Well, that's, that's, another that's another story. In 2008, they had uh, all the stimulus money that went towards broadband internet in Missouri. And I'm like, where's mine? When am I going to get my love up here? No. None. No. You, so. you guys aren't politically connected enough. But <laughs> they probably went, you're the guy who runs that political blog on Missouri politics. You get full soup Nazi, internet Nazi on me. None for you. <laughs> We're limiting your your capabilities <laughs> by any means necessary. Exactly. But my last question for you. Who is currently in 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 whatever effects um, in the political arena? Do you look up to the most, or has inspired you the most in in how you function? Wow, you know, I, I think there's a dangerous dangerous uh, affinity for people to to turn politicians into celebrities. Yeah, so I don't. I don't know that I I have anybody in the political arena that I would do that with. Um, I have met Glenn Jacobs three times, which I think means we're destined to be best friends. The governor and of Tennessee, right? He's the mayor, uh, county mayor. Okay. He's, he's also Kane in the yeah. WWE. Yep. Um, I like the fact that he's able to do what he does effectively, it seems. But uh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, there just seemed to, that's something I'm going to have to think about because I've been more awash in disappointment over the last four years at all these people I thought were principled, watching them slowly sell out to, to things that they never would have considered before. Probably Thomas Massey. I like that dude. Okay. Um, I'm not a hundred percent on a mosh. I don't know where he's at on things, but Massey always seems consistent, I guess. I wouldn't okay. uh, say I idolize him. I, I think that with you having a little bit of an unclear answer means that you're going to have to come back for a future episode. Oh, well played. Well so played. <laughs> that's perfect for me. So I want, I want to thank you so much for, for taking some time away. I want you to show, share all your love with your wife and, and your newborn son and the other eight kids, if you still have some left over for them. Um, but I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time out to, to come on tonight and, and hang out and, and, truly uh enlightened me further than than hearing this uh some of the stuff for the first time uh, hearing some of the stuff for you know through the trainings we've been through the 10th mm-hmm. time but it, it you always are able to to influence in a different way and and i from the bottom of my heart man thank you so much for for taking the time and you're always more than welcome if you have something that you're just like look i need to sell this to somebody i need i need to <laughs> hop on a podcast d- don't ever hesitate to reach out you're you're always more than welcome man it has been my genuine pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, audience, I love you guys all. Make sure you guys are tuning back here tomorrow night um, for Muddy Waters of Freedom with Matt and Spike, where they're going to be traversing the Muddy Waters of Freedom. And uh, always a fantastic show. As you guys know, Wednesday night, we've got 8 p.m.-ish Eastern. Uh, that will be Spike Cohen with My Fellow Americans. Thursday night, Matt Wright comes back with the writer's block. And then Friday at 9.30 Eastern, we will have the Cajun and Eskimo show from Bayous to Igloos. So five great nights of five amazing shows. I'm so excited for the week. And we will continue on uh, next Monday night, 8 p.m. with another wonderful guest. Probably will not be taking on the roof as well as Dwayne Lester, of course. But we will have another show. But with that, guys, I hope you guys all have a great night. Love you all. See you guys soon. And remember to keep selling that liberty. All right. Take care. Big love.